Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. So this morning we'll be in Acts chapter 8, so you can go ahead and be turning there, and we'll be looking at a rather familiar story. I'm sure some of y'all will see the title of this and say, uh, I've been there, I've done that, I've seen the felt board and been to the VBS lesson on this, but there's a lot here and there's a lot that God wants to teach us through his word in the book of Acts. So um, getting started here. Uh, we'll be looking at this passage together. We'll be looking at chapter 8, verses 26 uh, through verse 40, and we'll be looking at the story of Philip. But to get started, uh, I wanted to give you all a young Daniel story. So I know I'm a rather big boy now, but if you can remember me uh, when I was about five years old, one of the most favorite things we enjoyed doing as kids was uh, when we played outside, if we could get into the garage, we enjoyed climbing up on my dad's tractor and uh, pretending like we were driving it. So um, it was a sweet little case tractor. It was a garden tractor. It had all the attachments to it. So we had a, had a disc and we had a cultivator and we had a plow that went with it. But it also had a mower deck that uh, went on the bottom of it across because uh, at that time we were living at a house that had about an acre lot. So dad would use that to mow the backyard. So at five and six years old, uh, my sisters or my sister and I were climbing up on it and we'd play with it and we'd do the, you know, throttle buttons and we'd try to press the choke and we'd try to reach as far as we could to hit the little emergency brake thing and uh, obviously, we didn't have it turned on, but one of the things we try to do also is pretend like we were mowing. And to do that, you've got to make some turns, right? So we'd get there on the wheel, and with all of our strength and all of our might, we'd try to turn that wheel. Has anybody ever tried to turn the wheel of like a car or a tractor when it's just sitting there in park? I mean, just imagine as a five-year-old, I'm there, and I'm putting all my oomph behind it, and I'm going... And I can't get it to go anywhere, right? So instead of actually turning the wheel, we would be content with just sort of doing this number with it and pretending like we were making turns. I don't think the Incredible Hulk could have turned that wheel. But later on, as I got older, you know, I got to partake in the joy that is using a riding mower, right? So as soon as I got to turn the engine on... And as soon as I got to actually put the transmission in gear and go somewhere, that steering wheel started to be really easy, right? Like being in a car, it just sort of glides and you can make turns and all those kind of things because the tractor's steering wheel is not made to move while it's in park. It's made to move while it's in motion, right? The steering wheel has a purpose, but it has to be in motion, So we too, as believers, we're called to a specific purpose. We're called namely to worship God with all of ourselves, but also share with others the hope that we have in him. 
And scripture shows us that generally we're easier to move when we're already in motion, already in spiritual motion by daily following the Lord. So with this in mind, we're going to take a look at Acts 8, 26 through 40 together and take a look at this idea a little bit further. So first of all, we're going to look at a surrendered heart. So we're going to look at the first two verses here as we get started, and we're going to get reintroduced to this character named Philip. I'll be reading out of the ESV this morning. So in uh, verse 26 and 27, it says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And this is a desert place. And he rose and he went. So an angel of the Lord comes. He comes to Philip and he says, Go down to the road. Go south. And when he calls Philip, Philip doesn't hesitate. He goes and he went, as the verse says. This is a very short section of introduction, but it tells us a lot about Philip's character. You see, Philip was somebody we've been introduced earlier to uh, in the book of Acts. He was one of the ones that was called alongside Stephen and the other first deacons to serve the church. He was somebody that was filled with the Spirit and somebody that had a heart to follow the Lord. And after Stephen is stoned, and uh, martyred for the faith, the church in Jerusalem begins to scatter, and they start being sent out as missionaries in the midst of persecution. And they spread the word far and wide, and what Philip does is he goes to Samaria, and in the first part of chapter 8, we're told what he does there. So he goes to the city in Samaria, and he begins to share his faith and perform miracles, and the Samaritans are prepared, and they're ready to hear the gospel. And when they hear the gospel, they receive Jesus, they see his miracles, and it says that there's great joy in the city because of what Philip did. So Philip goes to Samaria, and he's already oriented towards the right things. He was part of the original church in Jerusalem, and he sold out for the Lord because he's met Jesus, and now he's his missionary. So Philip's already moving in the right spiritual direction, and he's excited about telling people the hope that he has in Jesus. So he's in the midst of doing ministry in Samaria. He wakes up, an angel of the Lord comes, and he says, go south. And Philip doesn't ask any questions. He doesn't ask the angel what's going to be there. Why am I headed south? Is there any reason? Should I turn at any point? He just says, go south, go to the road to Gaza, and Philip goes. So because he's been walking faithfully with the Lord, he rises and goes because he's trusting God, is asking him to do this for his own good purposes. This type of obedience and this type of faith is something you kind of have to grow into. See, before I became a uh, pastor ministering through the local church, I worked with a lot of college students. And one of the big things when you're discipling college students is they always want to talk about what's God's will. What's God's will for my life? What career should I pursue? What degree should I get? Um, where should I live? Should I maybe take time off and be a missionary? Uh, who am I going to marry? Um, who am I going to marry? 
who should I date so that I can marry them? That's a big question that they keep talking and bringing up that we have to deal with a lot. And these are big ticket questions, right? Everybody wants to know God's will on these things. Everybody wants to get this roadmap from the Lord, and he's like, okay, here's your age now. Here's where I want you to be when you're this age. Here's every single turn you need to make. Here's the people you need to do. Here's the decisions you need to make, right? Is there anything wrong with asking big questions of the Lord and these kind of questions? No, there's not. And in fact, God encourages us to go to his word because he's got a lot to say about these big consequential questions, He wants us to follow him in faith, but he gives us a lot of himself through his word to give us discernment and wisdom and allow us to grow to be able to handle those big questions. But what the Lord does is he also gives us smaller commands. He gives us daily commands because his heart for us is that um, when we become over-focused on these big questions, we begin to neglect some of these more perceived as mundane type of commands that the Lord gives us, right? God wants us to faithfully follow him daily. He wants us to meditate on his word. He wants us to talk to him and develop a prayer life. He wants us to share our faith with others, and he wants us to grow as a lifetime disciple of him. And see, when we do that, that begins to mold our hearts and minds so that then we're able to handle bigger questions, right? Because as we read and meditate God's word, and as we talk to him through prayer, and as we begin to see with eyes that are influenced by his words and what he wants for us, our ideas become to be molded towards his ideas and not the other way around. And then we're more prepared. So we look in Philip's case, and Philip was already in spiritual motion to be able to do this because he was already walking with the Lord daily. See, growing in obedience at a consistent level helps us grow towards these purposes that God has for us. Because throughout Scripture, it's clear that when God created us, He created us for a purpose. And He has people that He wants us to meet. And He has things that He wants us to do. But in order to be a part of that and join in on His story that He's doing, He wants us to live in right relationship with Him. You see, ultimately, God is looking for surrendered and obedient hearts. And he wants us to serve him, and he wants us to walk in close fellowship with him. See, like that steering wheel on that tractor I played with as a kid, if it was sitting still, it could be moved, but it took a lot of force and a lot of effort, and it didn't really go anywhere, right? But once it was in motion, I mean, you could kick that thing into high gear and start doing donuts in the backyard if you wanted to. Not saying that happened, just throwing that out there as an example. (laughs) See, but God prepares us to be able to minister to others in mighty ways. So we have Philip, and in Philip we see a surrendered heart that's prepared for ministry. But also, as we move on, we get to see what a searching heart looks like in this character of the Ethiopian eunuch that we're going to see. So read along with me here as we go to the last part of 27, and we'll end up in verse 35. So Philip rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah, Isaiah the prophet, and asked, do you understand what you're reading? 
And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation, for his life is taken away from the earth? And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? And then Philip opened his mouth and began or in beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. So we have a searching heart here, and Philip was obedient to go where the Lord had called him on the road to Gaza. And what he finds is this Ethiopian high official. And he's returning from worshiping at the temple, and he's reading the passage from Isaiah. And it's interesting that he's reading from Isaiah because I've heard people call Isaiah um, the gospel of the Old Testament. Because what happens in the prophets when you read the Old Testament is there is judgment. There's a lot of passages that speak to Israel, here's what you were meant for and here's what you've done and um, there's going to be consequences for what you've done based off covenant. But on the other side, there are also passages that are about renewal and restoration and love. And that's one of the things we looked at in our earlier passage that I read. It may have been that he was reading that passage that first sparked his interest because he was a eunuch in the court of Candace. And we don't know, sometimes that's used as a title, and sometimes it has an actual physical meaning. But if it had a physical meaning, that was something that was incomplete about him. And if we look back earlier on in the Old Testament, According to the rules, that meant he couldn't even worship at the temple. But God, being rich in mercy in the latter part of Isaiah, says, I'm going to invite you back in. It's not that those rules don't apply anymore, but that I've provided a way for non-Israelites to become a part of me by faith and repentance. So we have this character in the Ethiopian eunuch. And he's reading scripture and he's spiritually hungry and he's already gone to worship the God of Israel, but he doesn't understand what he's reading in Isaiah. Quite possibly he started in 56 and now he's made it to uh, an earlier passage that we know that talks about the suffering servant in Isaiah 52 and 53. And he's searching and he's desperate to know what it means, but he doesn't know and he needs somebody to explain it to him. So God sends the answer in the person of Philip. And Philip's able to take that scripture and he's able to say, you see, here's what Isaiah was talking about. And he was talking about a man and the man was named Jesus and here's what he did. And because of that, the Ethiopian eunuch's answers are, or his questions are answered. And when we look at this Ethiopian, he represents many of those that we come in contact with in a daily basis. It's a fact of life because when God created us and created humanity, he designed us to live in close relationship with him. But the problem is that our ancestors rebelled and they rebelled against their creator king and because of that, the curse of sin and death entered into the world. And not only did it break our relationship with God because of that rebellion, it also damaged our relationships with each other as well. 
And at the end of chapter 3 of Genesis, the situation is dark, but it's not without hope because God says this is not the way it's always going to be because I'm going to send a savior and a rescuer. God was rich in mercy, and he sent his son Jesus eventually to live a perfect life of obedience that we couldn't live. And because of that, he's able to die on a cross as the ultimate atoning sacrifice for us. And he gets to pay the penalty of our sin against that same creator. And not only that, he rose from the dead and he defeated the curse forever. And any person you come in contact with is living in the shadow of these things. Because when we're born and we were created to be in relationship with God and that relationship is broken, all of us have a deep spiritual hole that's inside of us. And everybody around us and everybody we interact with is trying to fill the spiritual needs and their longings with something. There's a void that needs to be filled with something in order to make them whole because intrinsically we all know that there's something missing. Some people turn to pagan religion to try to fill that hole. Uh, some people serve the gods of pleasure and materialism. On the other side, some people try to stack up enough good deeds to be able to fill that hole because they think maybe I'll be good enough if I just do enough good things. But the truth is, the only way to have that restored relationship is through Jesus. We have to trust Jesus by faith and repentance in order to come back to right standing before God. And God calls all people to himself. He's got a story for each one of us, and he may be calling you to be a part of that story in somebody else's life. You see, we have the Ethiopian eunuch here, and he is searching, and he's searching Scripture, and he needs answers, and God provides Philip to know the truth of what God's Word has to say. And the truth is, the people we interact with, some people are right on the edge. Some people are like him, where they're already oriented towards God, and God's been working in their life, and they need to know what the right answer is. And they may just be looking for a Christian to be able to take them to the edge and share the plan of salvation with them. And there are other people that on their journey, they've decided to walk away from God and they're further away than somebody like our character here. But God could still be using you as a signpost. Each positive interaction they have with somebody who follows Christ, somebody that they can see that working through them is a signpost back to their creator that they're supposed to be in right relationship with. So some people need to hear the plan of salvation. Some people just need to interact with somebody that has the joy of Christ in their heart. Everyone is on a spiritual journey, just as we once were. And we're called to consistently be a beacon that actively points people back to our Savior. In closing, we'll look at a transformed heart as we finish out the passage. Starting in verse 36. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, 
Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. So Philip is able to take what the Ethiopian is already reading. He's able to point him towards Christ and point him to a point of decision. And the eunuch's heart is transformed because he's encountered Jesus and he decides to follow him. And he asks for baptism and Philip wholeheartedly agrees. He's baptized and the scripture says he goes off rejoicing in his new relationship with our Savior. And in fact, he's so affected by the whole experience, he doesn't even seem to notice that Philip has disappeared. Because the Greek term here that is used is something called harpazo, sort of like harpoon. It literally means to take or to snatch away. So Philip's there. Spirit says, yep, got some other task for you. And he just takes him off. And he finds himself somewhere else, but immediately starts to share the gospel again. So he's literally spirited away. And his first instinct is to start sharing the gospel and ministering to people just like it's any other normal day. It's like, God sent me to the road, now he sent me to Caesarea. Works for me. And church tradition tells us in the writings of Irenaeus in the second century that this eunuch goes off rejoicing and ends up becoming a missionary to the kingdom of Ethiopia. And whenever you hear stories from church tradition, there's always a debate about, is this real history? Did he infer something from the passage? Those kind of things. But... Given his reaction to his newfound faith, I find it pretty plausible, don't you? Because when we see somebody like the eunuch place their faith in Jesus and go away with joy, they're infectious, right? Because you have a newfound joy where there was once anxiety and depression. Now there is pure joy in this relationship that they have with the Lord. His heart was transformed, and now his heart or in his life, is going to be marked by joy. This is something we see sometimes when you want to go and share Christ with people, it's best to take a new believer with you. On campus, sometimes when we were working with the college students, those were the best situations to be in because the new believer didn't know enough to be scared. So they'd go up and share with anybody. It's like, hey, let's go to the philosophy department and see if we can save us some professors. <laughs> you know, I can't get grad students to do that. Because our joy is infectious when we follow the Lord because something has changed. We have gone from a place of hopelessness and now we are in a place of hope. And this is a powerful apologetic. If we've experienced anything over the past couple of years, we've seen darkness. We've seen anxiety. We've seen people dealing with loneliness because of isolation and we've seen depression. When they see somebody who truly follows the Lord, that even in the midst of that, they can exude joy. They can give more than happiness. They can show a life that points people back to the joy that you can have in Christ. That's a powerful thing, and that affects people. Because Jesus changes. We are designed to be in right relationship with him and it's only through Jesus that we can experience that and when we do we are different and we're markedly different than the people that we come in contact with
as we close, I'm going to ask uh, Pastor Tommy to come up and close us through worship in a time of invitation here in just a minute. See, in this passage, we see Philip's surrendered heart called to reach a stranger. And we see a searching heart ready to receive the gospel. And together, they get to see the joy displayed of what a transformed heart looks like when a sinner becomes redeemed. But did you notice something about the passage? When we go through each character, who's ultimately guiding and directing everything that's happening throughout the story? God's written this story. God was able to save Philip. He was able to develop him as his disciple. God put the eunuch in Jerusalem at a time when he could hear the gospel and put him on a road and put Philip in a place where he could share with him. And then he prepared somebody who was a high official in Ethiopia to go back and share the gospel with those that desperately needed to hear it. You see, like I've said before, everyone in this world is on a spiritual journey, whether they know it or not. And as a believer, we're called to come alongside those that have no hope and are desperately searching and point them back to the only source of hope we have, which is our Savior. And sometimes when we preach these messages or we hear messages like this, we think, oh, man, Daniel's really coming down on us. Like, oh, I got to get out there and start sharing my faith today. And that's quite possibly true. But we've got to understand what God's role is and what our role is. See, what we used to train people is that our job is to be faithful, is to faithfully walk with God day by day and have our ears open and hear what people around us are saying and see what they're doing and be open to the Spirit's prompting to be able to share with them. See, God's part is preparing us Our part is faithfully initiating in the power of the Holy Spirit, and God's part is to save people. We can't save anybody, but what we can do is be there at the point of contact when God leads us to share a word with somebody or to show care for somebody or to be a light in somebody's life that desperately needs to hear about who Jesus is. See, God offers us the gift of right relationship with him and eternal life, and that only comes by placing your faith in Jesus by faith and repentance. There may be somebody here today that has questions about that or has never made that decision. If that's true of you or you've got questions about it, please come talk to Pastor Tommy or I. We would love to talk to you today. Like This is the most important decision you're ever going to make about whether what Jesus says is true or not and whether you're going to follow him. There's real joy in following Jesus. But many of us here are believers. And I'd ask you during this time of invitation to pray about those around you that you know don't know Jesus. Ask him for opportunities to share the hope that you have. Ask him to give you space in the day to be able to pray over those that you uh, know need to hear about him.